This is The Power Profile, stories of world-class leadership, hosted by award-winning broadcast journalist and media entrepreneur, Christina Mendonza. Get ready to connect with those defining success. Hi, everyone. This is The Power Profile, where we look at power in all forms of our personal and professional lives and talk to people who've leveraged power in their own lives. Today, a woman I've recently gotten to know, her name is Siri Lindley, and at one time, she was the number one ranked triathlete in the world. She's been a commentator on the Olympics. She is one of Anthony Robbins' favorite motivational speakers. She has this beautifully layered story of reclaiming her personal power as she rose to the top of her sport. I don't know how she finds enough hours in the day now to do all the things she's doing, but she has an incredible story, so much energy, and you'll hear from her very soon. This is a brand new podcast. I've recently retired A Fresh Agenda, which we did over 150 episodes. We started Power Profile because I see in society people now reclaiming their power after the pandemic. The global impact of the pandemic just put us all on our heels for a while. And we all have now faced the fact that we can no longer stay frozen in place. We are looking to reclaim personal and professional power in our lives. And I not only see this, I feel this myself. A business for my company, Mendonca Media, is off and running like never before this year. People are anxious to reclaim their personal power, the power of their business, and we are building content for them and their businesses to put the world on notice that they are back and they are ready to serve. I've also been doing a good amount of coaching lately for young broadcast talent who are also trying to reclaim their power in this job market. I'm a senior mentor for a company called Talent Boulevard. It's like a LinkedIn for broadcast talent. And this allows me to pass on what I can from a 30-year broadcast career to younger and upcoming broadcast talent. We sit down for our first session. I always ask them, what is good right now with the job that you're in? What do you want more of? And what is your next move? The answers to those questions really get you started down the path to reclaiming your power. The inclination, at least for young broadcast talent, is to try to climb markets as quickly as possible, get that network job or that top five market job. So I asked them what they like now and what they want more of to help drill down on what gives them purpose. We then talk about how to get more of what they want, whether that's money or investigative work or anchoring or entertainment reporting or sports reporting. And I think these same questions apply in any industry. And they're questions that I sometimes have to sit down and ask myself and sit with the answers. What is good now? What do you want more of? And what is the next move toward getting more of both? If you need motivation to have that deep conversation with yourself, look no further than Siri Lindley, my guest today. Now, Siri barely knew how to swim when she started training for triathlons. She has a great story that she'll tell about the very first triathlon she did. She also conquered every prestigious race you can think of, including the ITU World Championships. Rising to the rank of number one triathlete in the world, she became an in-demand Olympic coach. She later did commentary for the Olympics on NBC, and she became one of Tony Robbins' favorite motivational speakers. But the sports side is just one of many sides of Siri. As a cancer survivor, Siri shares her strategies in her book, Surfacing from the Depths of Self-Doubt to Winning Big and Living Fearlessly. These days, she is a global speaker. 
She's a coach. She is also co-founder of Horses in Our Hands and Believe Ranch and Rescue. Now, this is something really close to her heart. She started this with her wife, and they are actively working with congressional members to outlaw the slaughter and sale of horses for human consumption. I had the pleasure of being on her podcast, The Bedhead Chronicles, and she returned the favor with a great conversation for The Power Profile. Thank you for having me, Christine. I've been so looking forward to this. Excellent. Excellent. Let's start a little bit with uh, your athletic career. I mean, you rose the ranks, you know, number one triathlete in the world at one point in your life. I mean, that's something very few people ever accomplish. Very few people get to be on the professional stage as an athlete. Tell me a little bit about how that came about. I understand when you started as a triathlete, you you could barely swim. (laughs) Yeah, well, this is the thing about it. I I had been a field hockey, ice hockey, and lacrosse player at Brown University, um, but something happened in right at the in my last year of college. I realized that I was gay, and I'm, and there's a reason why I'm sharing this part of the story, and that was kind of a a, a tough discovery because I knew that I would have to figure out how to embrace this, mm-hmm. which I'm so happy I did, but. My father found out two years later, and he called me, and he said, Siri, somebody told me you're gay. I, I, could, I could not have a daughter that's gay. I beg you, tell me that this isn't true. Mm. And in that moment, it's like I felt I was choosing between my relationship with my father or my relationship with me. And I said, Dad, it's true. I'm gay. Please just love me any, anyway. I'm the same me. But he hung up the phone, and I didn't hear from him for the next two years. And that rejection was so painful for me because he was my he was my hero. He'd been to every single game of field hockey, ice hockey, and lacrosse. And here he was basically making me feel like I was worthless now that I was gay. Wow. And this is when I, I went and I watched a triathlon, and one of my friends was racing, And I was just in awe of these people. They were all different sizes, different ability levels, different ages, but they all looked like they were pushing themselves beyond what they thought they were capable of. And at this time, I thought, you know, God, I feel desperate to prove to myself, most importantly, that even as a gay woman, I can achieve something that I think is spectacular. I can make a difference in the world. I can be worthy. And, and, and most importantly, that I can be loved by myself. And so this presented as this amazing opportunity to find myself through the sport and find a love for myself, a trust in myself, a worthiness within myself. And But the problem was I didn't know how to swim. So it was ridiculous. And I did my first race. I came in dead last. I completely humiliated myself. Like people were laughing at me because I did Mm. the whole run with my bike helmet on because I didn't realize it was still on. And I finished in dead last. People had already left. Everyone was packing up. And rather than saying, oh, my God, this is a joke. I'm never going to do this again. I turned to my mom who was there and I said, I'm going to be the best in the world in this sport one day. And she looked at me like I was absolutely crazy. But the why behind it, why this mattered to me, and this is what's so important. I'm not like this super freak athlete that has this unlimited potential. 
I'm just like you. I'm just like everyone listening. But what I had was this absolute determination to do something that seemed impossible, knowing that if I achieved it or even came close to achieving it, that I would earn my own love and respect and a sense of worthiness. And that's what I was after. And, and having that deep why behind this meant that no matter how many times I failed or fell short or was disappointed or humiliated myself, I was never, ever, ever going to give up until I found a way to make this dream come true. Wow, what a beautiful and unexpected answer to my question. I mean, I, I mean, to use sport as a vehicle for emotional healing, for uh, psychological strength. I mean, most of us think of it as purely a physical pursuit. But um, wow, that's fascinating. And, and when you did finally become number one ranked in the world, I mean, what did that feel like? And, and what did that look like for you? Oh, my goodness. I mean, so... The whole process took me about eight, nine years. And along the way, I mean, I should share, you know, when you take on a pursuit like this and, and athletics, just like anything, you need to go all in. I mean, it was all in mentally, physically, emotionally. I became obsessed with this sport. I got coaches. I learned everything I could learn about the sport. I modeled the very best athletes. I surrounded myself with um, people that kicked my butt on a daily basis. I was always the worst um, in, in the pool, the worst on the bike, the worst on the run, as far as the people I surrounded myself until I actually reached the level where I became a world champion. And there were so many failures along the way. And one of the major things is I had to become someone willing to fail because I knew that in tackling this, I was going to fail a lot. And I, I gave failure the meaning that I would always learn from it. I would grow from it. And because of that, I would make progress. And that progress is what was going to lead me to ultimate success. And that's something so important, I think, for everyone to realize is that if you want to be successful, you have to be willing to fail because that's where the greatest lessons are learned. And I, I really found myself through this process. And, and when I won the world championship, it was eight and a half years later, I truly, I found what I was looking for. You know, I crossed that line and, and I felt so blessed and so grateful and so proud of myself for the first time in my life. And I was ready to retire on that day. I thought, I found what I'm looking for. Like, I don't need to do this anymore. But what happened is, you know, Christina, we all have that internal critic. And I knew that maybe one month, three months down the line, I would say, wow, maybe I just got lucky. Maybe that mm -hmm. was a fluke. And I didn't want to have to contend with that voice. And so I took the challenge that I gave myself that is, let's show that this is real to you, to me, most importantly, and let's put together one more year where you maintain your number one in the world ranking and you can retire on the top. And that's what I did. And I'm so glad that I took a chance on myself because I think sometimes when we reach that ultimate success, it's almost like, okay, oh my God, I better like 
you know, just cherish that, but not try anything new because I want to, you know, maybe that's my quota for success. And that's not how it works. You know, you, you reach a level of success and that's there to, to invite you to, to take on more, to stretch more, to become more. And I'm so glad that I took that challenge um, and stuck around for one more year. You know, that point you make about not being uh, afraid of failure because that's where your lessons are. I think that's where we learn the patterns. In our failure, we learn the patterns that we need to change. And and we also need coaching and to be a coachable person. Who was instrumental in helping you uh, achieve? I know you, you sought out a lot of different people to help you, but was there some one person that was instrumental in that transformation? Absolutely. I think um, two that I'll talk about. My first coach was a woman named Yoli, and she impacted me so deeply because I'll never forget. She said to me, Siri, I will always care way more about who you are as a person than what you achieve as an athlete. And I love that because that just kept me grounded on this entire journey. I just wanted to be the best person that I could be. And it wasn't about my results. It was about who I am. And so I love that about her. And that really um, impacted me in a positive way. But then, so you know how they always say, and this is absolutely true, that it's often right after your biggest defeat, your greatest disappointment, that you achieve your greatest triumph. And that's because from those great defeats, you really learn the most and you you assess, you know, like you're saying, what patterns do I need to change? What do I need to do differently? And I went to the Olympic trials, which was like my be all end all goal at the time. And I completely choked at the Olympic trials. I choked so badly that I ended up quitting. I didn't even finish a race. And that was devastating to me. But in that moment, you know, I realized that suddenly I'd fallen into a pattern of always focusing on how far I had to go rather than how far I'd come. And here, like, you know, seven years ago, I didn't even know how to swim. And I'm on the start line of the Olympic trials. And I started thinking, God, I'm so grateful that I have found a way to overcome every challenge and push through every disappointment to land here. So I suddenly was re-energized with, with a new perspective, the right perspective, the one that I started with, which is I just want to become the best that I can be and, and find myself through this process. And because of that, I thought, okay, you know, what do I need to change? I need to change my approach because this isn't working. And I thought about how powerful it is to be in proximity of people that are going to really push you and stretch you beyond what you think you're capable of. And so I went to this coach, Brett Sutton, who he only coached world champions and Olympic medalists. So I thought, how am I ever going to get him to coach me? I haven't done any of those things yet. And when I got in front of him, he actually looked at me and he said, God, I remember you. Um, You were at a World Cup race in Australia. I was walking home. All my athletes had finished. You know, they won the race. They were on the podium. And you were probably in like 30th place. But you were absolutely killing yourself to come in 29th. He said, I like Mm -hmm. that. That's, That's hunger. 
And I realized that the thing about me is that, um, and this obviously was before the Olympic trials, is that it's not about coming in first, second, or third, or you're nothing at all. You failed. It's about being the best you that you can be every single day, you know, being better than you were the day before. So he said yes, and he took me on. And I tell you what, Christina, I went to this training camp. I have never in my life trained as hard as he had us trained. It was, it was insane. It was agonizing. Mm-hmm. After my first day, I called home. I said, I'm not going to be able to last. This is just um, if you want an example, I can give you an example, but I can talk forever, so I don't want to keep, <laughs> you know, you, you stop me. But basically, he gave me impossible challenges every single day to the point that one day I said, Brett, I can't do what you're asking me to do. Like, I can't move my arms or my legs. And he looked at me and he just said, find a way. Wow. And I thought, find a way. Okay, I guess I can just, I just have to do the best that I can with what I have. And it was so brilliant because every day he gave me something that seemed impossible. And every day I just did the best that I could with what I had. And I proved to myself that what seems impossible is really possible. So you found two mentors that were able to recognize in you this competitive spirit and fi- and find a way to say exactly the right things to fire it up. And you yeah. did you did this for others because I know you moved on to mentoring and coaching and that's how you met your wife um, and I've heard the two of you on your podcast the Bedhead Chronicles great conversation by the way but uh, <laughs> how did you find that nugget in other people? And inspire it. How did you motivate when you moved from the mentee to the mentor? Yeah, it was just, and that's all I wanted to do actually when I retired was to help others, you know, people that really doubted, who didn't even try because they thought that they didn't have the ability to do something. And I think the biggest thing that had influenced me from Brett is being able to recognize potential in someone, even when they have no idea that it exists inside of them and not being afraid to really push them beyond, you you know, push them in a way that's really scary because it is scary to go beyond what you think your limits are. And so one of the most, I'm so sorry. One of the most important things was, um, there's there's this quote I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free by Michelangelo and the way I see that is that everybody has this potential inside of them and with each athlete that came to me I could see the potential even though they couldn't see it and then it was coming up with a plan on how I was going to get them to chip away at the marble that held them from realizing that potential and bring out the magic in them. And that process, you know, it takes a lot of courage both for the athlete and for the coach um, to, to be confident enough to push them like Brett did with me and have me do things that seemed impossible, scary, agonizing, but knowing that when my athlete is able to do that, they are going to realize that they are so much more powerful than they could ever imagine. Wow. 
you know, I heard your dog barking in the background, which is like so common these days as everyone's working from home. But I know, no, no, that's okay. I wanted to move on to animals because I know that is another huge passion of yours. And you and your wife are doing amazing work with horses. I know you live on a ranch. Tell me a little bit about the foundation you have started and some of the missions. Uh, Well, thank you so much for asking because it absolutely is our why. And we, I rescued a horse six years ago named Savannah. I'd never had a horse before, um, brought her into my life. And this horse changed my life in every way. She gave me a, I am so sorry, Christina. That's I can't okay. get away from my dog. That's okay. Uh, she showed me a bravery and a courage that I never thought could exist inside of me. And one day I thought, you know, what am I saving her from? What, why would I have to rescue a horse? And I got online and I Googled, why would I need to rescue a horse? And this video came up of horses being slaughtered for human consumption. And it was the most horrific thing I've ever seen in my life. Hold your ears if you don't want to hear this. But basically, they're all in a line. They're pulled up on a pulley and they are shot once, but they're dismembered while they're still alive. And the screaming and the sounds and other horses knowing their necks. I just fell to the ground, literally, I'm not being dramatic, but like screaming, crying. And my wife came running up the steps. I just pointed at the screen. She started crying and we looked at each other and without even saying anything, we knew that our lives were never going to be the same. We had to do something about this. So we created Believe Ranch and Rescue, which is our 501c3. And since then we've saved 177 horses from slaughter. And the beautiful thing for those of you that may not be animal lovers or horse lovers is that it's come full circle because these horses are now healing humans through our equine therapy programs. I mean, it is just incredible, the healing power of these animals. And um, But eventually, you know, every time we would go and pick up five horses that we've saved, there would be a trailer leaving with 30 of them going off to slaughter. And we thought, we're just putting a Band-Aid on this. We need to ban horse slaughter altogether. And so we created a 501C4, which um, works at lobbying in Washington, D.C., and we're trying to get the SAFE Act passed, which is the Save America's Forgotten Equines Act. It's been hanging around for about 20 years, but due to our work of raising awareness and getting people on board and talking to everyone in Washington, D.C., 83% of Americans disagree with horses being slaughtered. So we are closer than we have ever been before at banning horse slaughter and um, just closer than ever before. So if there are horse lovers out there, um, please follow us at Believe Ranch and Rescue are horses in our hands, and it's so easy to have an impact. We have pre-made letters that you just uh, submit online, and I think we've reached 91 million households and have sent um, like 200,000 letters to the key people in uh, the House and Senate that need to pass this bill. So. Thank you for asking, but I think um, it's just we feel so blessed to do this work because horses really are um, 
such teachers, such mm-hmm. healers. And if you haven't experienced that, I definitely encourage all of you to to see what it's all about. Wow. Oh, man. And I know you have a beautiful picture of that first horse hanging in your office because I've seen yeah. it. Yes. Um, yeah. I want to get back to a little bit of your work in television. You you were uh, did some commentating for NBC during the Olympics, not this last one, but in former uh, Olympics games. I, I want to ask you about something that is making some uh, controversy of late, and that is the the whole issue of trans women in sports, in women's sports. Um, it's become an issue. Uh, I know at Penn State for women's swimming, uh, we've had weightlifters, trans women's weightlifters, and I'm wondering. If you have any thoughts on that, or you know, it, it's a very difficult topic. It is a very difficult topic, and I, I, I guess I can understand both sides. Um, I have a tendency to not um, get involved in fights that are kind of beyond my scope. Obviously, I'm in the fight to for animals and stuff like that, but I can see both sides. For me, the most important thing is that every single human being feels free to be who they are right? and to express themselves as they are. And so my side is, you know, let people be who they are and give them the opportunity to live um, with equal rights in every single area, whether it's sports or the, the job, you know, in the working world and I just want everyone to love each other. I want everyone to accept each other. I want us all to bring out the best in each other and lift each other up. And so, yes, I can see, you know, the different sides and and, and all the drama and the fighting that's going on around it. But I guess I'm just going to say that I just want equality for everyone in this world. I want everyone to feel what it's like to just live freely and to know that you are accepted exactly as you are, you are loved as you are, you are perfect as you are, and you don't have to adjust who you are as a human being in order to enjoy certain privileges, like being on a sports team, that you can just be you. So I guess that kind of shares what my side is. but at the same time, it's just a very difficult topic. It but is. I just support equality for all and equal opportunity for everyone is, is always my stand. Right, right. You are all about inspiring other people. I've seen uh, some of the talks that you've given. Um, you wrote a book that I know inspired many, many cancer survivors. Um, and you yourself are, are a cancer survivor and have spoken openly about that. Uh, what do you feel like is your mission these days? What what um, gets you up in the morning, besides the horses, because I know they're a great love of yours. Um, but what gets you up in the morning in terms of inspiring others? Where do you want to take your messages? Oh, my gosh. I just want everyone to know that you are the creator of your own experience of life. And I've been a lot uh, through a lot in my lifetime. Um, but I chose to go first in living the life that I want to live. I wanted to be a survivor. I want to be a thriver. I wanted to become a world champion. I want to be someone that is happy and grateful and enjoys life. And the thing is, 
so many people think, oh, I'd, you know, I'd love to be able to do that too. Well, you can. It's up to you. Only you can decide what's possible for you. Only you can decide what you're capable of. Only you can decide what life you want to live. And we do that by deciding what we want to focus on. Are, are we going to focus on what's missing, what's wrong, all the problems, what we have no control over? Or are we going to take charge and focus on what we have and what we love, what we want to create, what is right, what is good, and what we have all the control over, which is our own experience of life. So I really, I found a way to stop suffering in my own life, even amidst the greatest, most painful challenges. And we all have that ability inside of us. So if I can share a message that inspires people to believe that you can live the life that you dream of, but it's all up to you. You're in the driver's seat. And let me share the tools so that you can truly go first in your life and decide what life you want to live and make that happen. Um, because I think as humans, a lot of times we just settle for the life we've been living and, and for the story that we tell about ourselves and about our life. And you don't have to settle. Um, I, I really believe that. And there are tools to get you out of your own way to create, you know, the business, the job, the relationship, the health that you want. And um, I believe that that's why I'm here today, because, Christina, you know, when I got diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia, I had probably a 5% chance of survival, according to mm. the doctors. But I wasn't willing to live that story. That was not going to be my story. And mindset and habits and rituals and belief, you know, my belief system and the meaning that I gave this challenge is why I'm still here today. And, and I know that I, I have a really big responsibility now to, to share these messages so that other people can experience the same kind of miracles. Wow. Well, you, you certainly do all of that. And um, we are going to link, make sure we link to all of the profiles that um, you have online and websites and everything so that people can connect with you um, and reach out to you because I know many will want to. Um, you know, there's a question I ask all of my guests. I want to ask this to you now because you are such a force and have so much energy. Um, you know, obviously, sometimes you need to recharge. So what do you do to recharge yourself creatively? Is there a habit, a, a hobby, uh, some a ritual that you do to help replenish your own supply of energy? Absolutely. And thank you for asking that. And I do this multiple times during the day, which I encourage all of you to do is to take time like every two hours to even take five minutes to fill yourself up with something that makes you feel alive and rejuvenated. And for me, that's, you know, I will leave in between meetings and go out and just hug on my horses or hug on my dogs and leave the phone behind, leave the computer behind. But that fills me up. Gratitude fills me up just stepping outside and taking like three deep breaths and thinking about what I'm grateful for and really feeling that emotion and exercise. So 
those three things are, you know, guaranteed filler ups for me. And I do them multiple times a day just to make sure that everything that I'm showing up for, I'm ready to give a hundred percent and show up as my best self. But in order to do that, I need to recharge and, and you need to recharge um, so that you can show up as your best self. But if you're not filling up, you're going to run out of steam and, and you're going to be able to give less to the things that matter most to you. So you really have to take care of yourself first. Absolutely. And these kinds of conversations are uh, one of the things that, that does that for me. And meeting you, I'm so glad the podcast universe brought us together, Siri. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Christina. You are, talk about a force. You are such a beautiful force of love and light and wisdom in this world. And I just feel so blessed to have made the connection with you. So thank you so much for sharing this time with me and, and for sharing your listeners with me as well. Absolutely. And all of that back at you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christina. Have an amazing day. You do the same, Siri. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Siri Lindley. You can find out more about her and her mission to coach the world and save horses at SiriLindley.com. Do check out her podcast too, The Bedhead Chronicles. She is a slice of positivity at a much needed time. And her stories can translate to actionable items for you in your own life. And please subscribe and follow The Power Profile. You can also find me on all the socials. I have to say I'm most active on Instagram where I post Motivational Monday strategies. You can also go to my website, mendonsamedia.com and subscribe to my newsletter to reach out of, and reach out for your own business needs. I'm launching a product based on this podcast. It's called The Power Profile. It's the video version. It's a mini documentary on world-class thought leaders and I'm having a blast with it. You'll go through a series of interviews that cover your retrospective story and accomplishments. We'll uncover the personalized story behind your own success. I will craft a narrative to connect the dots between your experiences and accomplishments. Additionally, you'll discover what makes you stand out within your own industry and what inflection points in your life have been perfectly applied to your own profession. And you can use this power profile. It's perfect for internal communication, video releases, website editions, client education, for working with potential investors, and so much more. So if that interests you, please reach out at MendonsaMedia.com. In the meantime, be on the lookout for more stories of power right here on the podcast version of The Power Profile. I'm Christina Mendonca. Stay powerful. This has been The Power Profile with Christina Mendonca. Stay connected through MendonzaMedia.com.